Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Matt Mountain. Matt is the CEO and president of NextGen Consultants. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. Matt, let me tell the folks a little bit about NextGen and how you got here. Is that fair? That's great. And don't be afraid to add in anything that I leave out or okay. make it more colorful. All right. Uh, Matt, your company is primarily concerned with Salesforce.com implementations. Matt, you started this business about five years ago, and prior to starting NextGen, had spent 13 years at a local IT consulting company where he was the top salesperson for that company. Matt also uh, experienced, has work experience working at McKinsey, which is one of the country's largest consulting firms, and even worked at Convergys early in his career. Matt started his company, NextGen, without having any clients and without having any certifications. So this was really what we call a bootstrap operation, Matt, huh? Very much so, and it wasn't uh, 2007 wasn't exactly a prime time to start a business, but we did it. It was a good time to start a business. Matt's grown the business every year, and industry specializations are financial services and healthcare. Matt, do you work with clients both within the Cincinnati uh, metro area and outside of our area? Yeah, we do a lot of work. You know, I say within 100 miles of here, Cincinnati and the surrounding cities, but we also serve clients all across the U.S., and we've actually done some international projects, too, in the implementation of Salesforce. Okay. NextGen is short for Next Generation. What did you actually mean when you created the company with that name? I've worked at companies that uh, were really focused on not only having a lot of infrastructure, which a lot of companies do need, but... Since I've been in IT for a long time, I've seen the evolution from the mainframe to client server to the Internet. And uh, part of the reason why I started NextGen was the the cloud and the fact that there was going to be a lot of movement to the cloud such that people were no longer going to just build applications and support them. They were going to use the cloud and the applications out there and the speed to which they can get up and running. So with the cloud being kind of next generation, the idea was that we're going to focus initially on Salesforce.com and eventually move into other cloud offerings. In addition to the move into the cloud, we're also, you know, one of those companies, we have no office space, we have no servers, we have no infrastructure. Everybody works virtual, either at the client site or from their, or from their house. So uh, that's kind of the idea behind NextGen. Sure. Uh, how many employees or consultants do you have right now, Matt? So right now we've got 12 employees, and we also do have subcontractors. Uh, so we've grown slowly and very controlled growth. 
in terms of you know bringing on people and reinvesting profits back into the business. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've really tried to focus on, if you will, is not to borrow any money. So today, yeah, we do have a line of credit, but we've never had to tap into it, and we've just grown organically as we you know reinvest profits, bring on more people, get bigger projects, and and so on and so forth. So. It's taken time, but uh, it's worked out well. So before you decided to work with Salesforce in your prior uh, career, what other CRM products did you have experience with? Uh, I was actually a gold mine administrator for 13 years, and that was it was a great start in the fact that I got to see how CRM is used and not used, and more often not used. I'm an engineer by trade, so I'm very disciplined, if you will, in terms of follow-ups. So to me, Goldmine was great because it gave me the ability to hold myself accountable, get off a call, log it, schedule another call, and it was a way just to stay efficient and and just to make me more efficient so that I could increase sales. So uh, I used Goldmine for 13 years, dabbled in a few other things. We had actually switched to Salesforce, and that's when I saw the light of the cloud and what it can do because I was often challenged with remote users in the goldmine world trying to get in and refresh and it, it was just very difficult to do. So it drove, it, it basically led to a lot of uh, uh, adoption issues where remote users wouldn't use it. So Synchronization in the goldmine world is one of the more tricky issues. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, requires constant baby feeding. Yeah. And, and by saying that, I'm not picking on Goldmine. It's just from an architecture standpoint, those uh, systems where they're hosted here, but people have them on their laptops uh, all around the country and they need to synchronize in to an office, That there's just a number of challenges associated with that where if you can have it deployed on the web, anybody can connect to it anywhere, home, from your device, from work, what have you, and it's it's all the same interface. Well, today, as long as you have the web, and most people do, even if they're traveling down 71 in their car, I'm not suggesting that you use your CRM in your car, except, of course, when you have your driver driving <laughs> and you're sitting in the passenger seat. Uh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, which I've done before. Yes. And it's, you know, it's, it's that's the nice thing is that um, I couldn't – live without a CRM system from a sales standpoint. It just it just holds me accountable. It allows me to set goals for people, including myself, and it allows me to measure where we are compared to where we should be. So I'm a I'm a huge proponent of, of CRM, whether it's Salesforce or something anything else. It's I think it's very important for salespeople to um uh, to use something like that. So good. So if you're listening to the show and you want to ask uh Matt or me a question uh, our number, as always, is 646-595-4916. I'll repeat it one time, 646-595-4916. Uh, we'll be able to uh, take your calls during the break and put you on uh, after uh, a commercial. Now, Matt, you know I'm a Sandler trainer, and we do a lot of Sandler training. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I wanted to do now is tell our listeners, what the upcoming uh, guest list looks like uh, so they have a good idea of which shows they want to listen to and who they are. Uh, Tomorrow's uh, show is a show for people who are 
business leaders. Uh, we're going to have Greg Crowell on. He's the president and CEO of Crowell uh, Company, which is a commercial real estate development company. Currently has five developments here in the Cincinnati marketplace. Next Thursday, a week from today, we're going to have Robin Throckmorton on. She's with Strategic HR. She's had that company for 18 years. She helps uh, companies, both small and large, uh, stay on the right side of the law in terms of HR work. Uh, her company handles everything from recruiting in a non-traditional fashion to uh, helping with employee manuals and things that you should do or things that you shouldn't do. Uh, and that'll be a really interesting show. The following day, on May 25th, we have Greg Hartman, who is the uh, president and CEO of Christian Moorline Brewing Company and is the general manager uh, and owner of the uh, Moorline uh, Brew House down on the river in uh, the Banks. Uh, the next guest on Thursday, May 31st, is uh, Jody Schmidt-Gosling. She is the Eastern President of Possible Worldwide, one of the country's largest advertising agencies. Uh, the following day, on Friday, June 5th, June 1st, June 1st, is David Bellows. He is the uh, he was the owner and originator of Tyrone Lighting, a uh, commercial lighting manufacturer, and they've recently sold the company and he started a new business. Uh, factoring accounts receivable for clients, or he calls, as he calls himself now, I think a hard money, hard money lender. Uh, the last guy we'll, we'll tell you about in the lineup is a fellow named Roger Roser. Roger is a, the uh, owner and CEO, although he doesn't like to be called that, of the Eisen Eisner Eisen Agency. Uh, great guy. I. Uh, Met him for the first time uh, yesterday, and talked to him on the phone many times. And it, 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 as it turns out, he's the agency for a couple of my friends in in the downtown Rotary Club. Uh, but that'll be a really interesting uh, conversation. And let's see, upcoming Sandler events. Talk about that for a second. Uh, we we do have a a new version of the Sandler. Foundations course starting on the 15th of June. It'll run for eight consecutive Friday afternoons from 2 to 5.30. It'll include a, a light lunch. And it will be heavily attended. So if you're interested in registering for that or finding out more information, give us a call at 513-753-9400. I'm on extension 102. The uh, last Sandler event that I'll talk about is our cold call camp. There are salespeople that who actually have to make cold calls to get business. And about once a quarter, we do a cold call camp program. This one's on Wednesday, the 27th. Uh, it's got a list price of 595 If you uh, call in to register for it and say to Carmen, I heard along the Cincinnati Business Talk will give you a flat $100 uh, discount. The uh, cold call camp uh, really consists of about four parts. Part one would be how to get by the gatekeeper 90% of the time. Part two is to how to build three scripts for uh, your contact so that you can have a good conversation with them to discover whether or not they're qualified or disqualified. 
in fact, will attempt to disqualify everybody. Uh, the third part of the cold call camp is taking people through five different voicemail messages that will get at least 70% of your voicemail messages returned within eight business hours. And the last part of cold call camp, last two hours, we will actually spend time making cold, cold calls in pods of three. We'll record the calls and then debrief them so we can find out what's working, what's not working. During the camp, you'll have time to write your own script from our master scripts, convert it to your business, and usually we find that even in that two-hour period of time, at least half of the voicemail messages that are left get returned. We have a large number of conversations uh, with prospective clients for the people we hear. Now what I'm going to do is switch over to a kind of a, an opening question for Matt. Why don't you give us an idea, Matt, of how you really got started working in the Salesforce thing and what an ideal client might look like for you? So I got involved uh, once I had started using Salesforce and really saw what it could do. Um, I took a week's vacation and, and uh, flew to New York City, got trained on Salesforce, thought about what I was doing, came back and, and, and resigned from the job I was at, and then started marketing myself. And uh, the, the reason why I got into the Salesforce world was that there was a couple of folks there that I'd worked with in a previous life, and they said to me, hey, what do you think about this? We'll help you get started. So. I immediately tapped into their relationships, and they helped me uh, get my first client, get my second client. And, you know, as I started out, it was just me. So I was selling my services and doing the work. And that's really tough to do. You know, when you're working hard on a project, you're not selling. And when you're selling, you're not billing. So um, it, it was challenging as we started out, or as I started out, in terms of building the business. But, uh, you know, what I found was that relationships were really the key to get me introduced in in front of people that could use my services so that I could then bring on another person and and we just grew it from there but it was you know I will say the first two years uh, from a salesforce.com standpoint and I've been at it four and a half now the first two were very slow growth uh, the last two and a half have been significantly uh, more growth than that, but it, it part of it also was just confidence. You know, do, can I do this? And you know, am I, am I the right guy to run a business? And and so part of it was, you know, what what's between the ears? And am I thinking positive about what I'm sh what I should be doing? Let me substitute the word conviction for the word confidence. I think when a, a salesperson shows conviction about his product or service, that makes the sale yeah. a lot easier. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and, you know, part of the startup was I had to get certified in the technology, which wasn't a problem. But oftentimes I was competing with companies that were a lot bigger than me with a lot more experience than me. So I had to go out and to sell the client on why we would be, why I would be a better fit and then ultimately why we would be a better fit. So some of my listeners might be interested. Uh, how did you do that? How did you convince people that, that you were better? even though you were smaller? Well, one of the things I would do from a pre-sale standpoint, and I, and I still do this today, is when we get involved in opportunities with the prospect and 
one of the challenges we have is to be able to accurately set expectations, expectations on cost, time frame, scope, resources, you name it. So one of the things that uh, I, I've often done is instead of giving them a proposal like everyone else will do, what I'll say is, you know, just to make sure I understand what you want, I'd like to spend another hour, hour and a half with you, and let's pull up the product, and let us let me just start building it to how I think you want it. And what I found by doing that is they get so engaged with me in terms of, hey, we really do understand what you're talking about, that it helps increase the confidence and and says, yep, I, I think Matt and NextGen are the right way to go. So um, I, I do a lot of that today because it really takes it to the next level and helps me differentiate from others. So you do have competition? Yeah, we do have competition. Uh, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do. Uh, I really don't worry about who our competitor is because I've got the conviction that uh, we can beat anybody. Now, you know, if uh, a company is looking to roll out 3,000 seats, can we do it? Yes. Will we win it? No. So I know when not to play and when to play. But when I make up my mind, hey, we're going to play, I go into it absolutely with the expectation. And you're winning all the deals at the highest price? Uh, no, no. We we are winning some at the highest price. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've actually won deals where we've been the highest price. And at the same time, um, you know, what we find often is that some of the bigger partners in in, in uh, that we compete with charge twice what we do. Mm-hmm. Just because they're bigger, they got all this overhead and... Um, we're not at that price point, and that so that doesn't hurt too. But uh, we win as the highest price person and not the highest price person. Mm. I know we should raise our rates, but you know a lot of times we just you know our goal is to really show the value of what we can do, and we offer them a price where it's oh, very profitable for us. I thought you were a nonprofit. That's why you're not well, going to raise your price. Yeah. Sometimes I think we are, but no. <laughs> well, that's what Sandler Training does for you. It teaches you how to sell more at a higher price. That's right. In fact, the most difficult selling position is when you are 50% of a market leader. Absolutely. Because that can't be done. They look at, and, and that happened in one case where uh, I knew what the uh, competitor had proposed, ballpark, and, and we were significantly less. And, uh, you know, I basically said to the client, I said, look, uh, we probably don't look favorable because we're at this price point. So I can either do two things, explain to you why or increase our price. And I'd be happy to increase the price. And, of course, at that point, you know, he laughed and and, and we just bonded from there and just shared, you know, I just shared why and, and, and he bought into it. So, um, but, yeah, I do definitely agree with that. Okay. Let's take a a short break and listen to Sandler Rule number 14. Hi, I'm Bob Sinton of Sandler Training. I'm here today to talk to you about rule number 14. A prospect who is listening is no prospect at all. 
You may have heard this before, but Dave Sandler told me a long time ago that you should follow the rule called 70-30 rule, where the client talks or the prospect talks 70% of the time, and you, the salesperson, talk 30% of the time. Most salespeople I run into in my 30 years of doing this understand that. The problem with it is how do you go about doing it? Well, most if not all salespeople know their features and benefits and the, uh, the power of what their company can provide clients. Um, so it's easy for them to uh, explain their features and benefits to a client. The problem with that is it doesn't necessarily elicit responses from a client. So what we have to train ourselves to do to be more successful and more professional is take your features and benefits and phrase it and structure it in such a way where it actually elicits a conversational response from your client. For example, a feature and benefit of your company may, may uh, include uh, you can reduce expenses and, and save them some overhead and, and save your clients some money in the uh, long term or short term. Well, a lot of people can say that. That's on your website. It's on your brochure. A more effective way is to say, hey, Ed, can I ask you a question? Uh, what we've done with companies and individuals like yourself is help save them money with some software that helps them reduce expenses, uh, get rid of waste, and adds more money to their bottom line. Uh, do you have anything like that happening here? And if so, can you tell me a little bit about it? Um, what that question does is it obviously elicits initially a yes or no response, but then it quickly goes down the tunnel of what I like calling a conversational uh, dialogue, if you will, between salesperson and client, and you find yourself talking only 30% of the time, and the client ends up talking 70% of the time, and that creates a, a more of a win-win relationship. And that's Sandler rule number 14, a prospect who is listening is no prospect at all. Well, this is Mike Roth. I'm back here with Matt Mountain of NextGen. Uh, Matt, since we don't have any callers right now, let's uh, ask another question. Uh, do you have actual salespeople, or are you doing all the selling yourself? No, uh, I do have uh, salespeople, um, and you know, part of the thing about bringing in salespeople is, you know, everybody was taught to do it a different way, and the one of the things that I've learned is that if you plan out the work you need to do, the activities you need to do to be successful, you will be successful. So when I bring in new reps, you know, one of the things that I like to do is to set expectations up front and then to measure to those expectations. Uh, are they doing the calls, the activities, following the process in order to drive behavior? So the first 30, 60, 90 days are a little challenging. But so what, what is the behavior that you're going to measure them against? Well, one of the things that I measure is in, in terms of let's just say, uh, activity. So how many people are you reaching out to a day? Could be... How many dials a day? Uh, not dials or, you know, whether it be an actual call, a voicemail, an email, a face-to-face. -face. What's the behavior? And, you know, one of the things I found many years ago was that we had an inside salesperson that was absolutely doing the activity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She was doing it between 4.45 and 5.15 in the afternoon when nobody was there. But she was doing the activity. So one of the things that... Well, that's not a really big time frame to get a lot of activity done in. But you can you can close out, you can leave a lot of voicemails and send a lot of emails in 30 minutes when nobody picks up. So one of the things that you know, I, I really try with salespeople to set expectations as to what's expected, 
what are you trying to hit in terms of activities, in terms of opening sales opportunities, moving them along. So the, uh, I brought on a one salesperson uh, about a year ago, and you know the ramp up because they came from a big company. Uh, the ramp up was was difficult for him because of the change, but now just running smoothly. Brought in another person within a month ago. Uh, you know, again, still doing the change management, if you will, in terms mm-hmm. of here's what you have to do to be successful. So uh, that part does take time. Uh, they probably get frustrated with me. I don't get as much frustrated with them, but they do see the benefits. And, you know, that's part of the discussion we have up front that, it, yeah, there will be a little bit of pain, but the payoff is definitely there. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big process person. That's all I can say. Yeah. Well, process is important. It is. Uh have you had any turnover in your sales department? Uh, no, we have not. No, I, I do a lot of the sales, but uh, I've got two other people right now and uh, haven't had any turnover. Previous jobs, yeah, there was a lot of turnover, but uh, um, we haven't had any. And I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with in terms of the the expectations of the job. Previous jobs, there was a lot of cold calling, a lot of, uh, hey, here's, an, uh, here's a client list good luck, where when I bring in a salesperson, I've got a defined territory, defined set of leads, and I can help get them in the flow quicker. Which, so how is it that you go to market right now? Well, it, it's interesting that uh, as part of sales, one of the things I always try to do is differentiate. So how am I different? And as part of growing a business, what I looked at was, you know, if I'm going to go out and compete uh, I need to be able to clearly differentiate myself. So uh looked at Salesforce years ago, thought that, hey, this might be the, you know, uh, a horse to ride for a while. And, you know, in the five years, it's grown from, I don't know, half a billion to two and a half billion in five years. I mean, it's just explosive growth. So in our world, the only company that I market to is Salesforce.com. And what I mean by that is Salesforce is adding reps every day. And so when a rep, I built some relationships with some reps and they gave me some leads into accounts. We won the business. And then after we completed the project, uh, because we have a big focus on, hey, quality and we want them to be happy, I'd go back and I'd get a reference letter from them. I then take that reference letter and give it back to the salesforce.com sales rep. Well, they'd never seen anything like that in the past. Then, then they'd refer me to another rep. So on average, we get between five and ten leads a week from Salesforce.com. And, you know, as we had spoken a few weeks ago, I haven't done a cold call in three years. Uh, it's the Salesforce.com reps themselves who actually take you to the real prospect because they're their prospects as well. And you make absolutely. both sales, the Salesforce sale as well as the data conversion sale. So, yeah, so the Salesforce reps look at me and say, hey, Matt can help build out a prototype to sell the client on this that will also sell his services. Now, we don't sell the software, but if we can help the rep get the deal closed, oh, the rep's going to just keep calling us. So that's where we spend a lot of our efforts in terms of educating new reps. So, And how many uh, reps does Salesforce.com uh, actually have? Ugh, I Take a while. A again. thousand. A thousand reps. Probably. Probably. Wow. And, and you know, we only have, let's say, 50 of them referring business to us. 
And 50 of them keeps you busier than you want to be. Oh, it keeps us so busy, yeah. And, uh, you know, e- e- even a company like that, it's interesting to see is that the Salesforce.com, any company under 2,500 employees is handled by what they call corporate sales or inside sales. Mm-hmm. And some of these companies that have outside or the, the reps at Salesforce that cover the larger companies, you have some reps that have three accounts. And it seems like every year they uh, double the quota and, and cut the number of accounts in half and just keep pushing them to sell more and more into these accounts. So well, That sounds surprisingly like uh, another major corporate IT account that we've got a client in, uh, cutting the accounts in half, number of accounts in half each year. Yeah. Uh, in your world, in your world, what's the biggest single obstacle that you have to overcome to make a sale? The biggest obstacle, um, I don't know if it's so much the biggest obstacle to, to make a sale. Uh, the thing that comes to mind is our cost of sale. So one of the things that we try to do up front is clearly set expectations as to what a project uh, would cost, time frame, everything else. In reality, once we get into it, what we had discussed up front and what they really want could be two totally different things. It usually costs more when they <laughs> come down to the real thing. It usually does. So at the beginning, when you talked about building this little demo model, mm-hmm. uh, is that free or are you charging for that? Uh, I do it for free. Okay. And I do it for free... Uh, I realize it provides a lot of value to them, but what it helps us do is it helps us differentiate from our competitors, and it helps us get a better idea as to what their needs are. So it really does uh, provide a couple benefits so that we can better set expectations as to their needs. But it's not expensive to build that model. No. it. I build it out in an hour and show it to them. And, uh, in fact, just before here I was talking to a prospect, and I'm going to set up a call on Tuesday to – have an online meeting because mm-hmm. they're based in Atlanta. We'll pull up a trial, and I'll just start talking to them about their business and building it right in front of them. They'll just be looking at my screen. But uh, that's that's important because that really helps build the trust with the with the prospect. Okay. Uh, have you ever implemented the, the Salesforce.com Sandler modules for a client? I have not. I've heard about it, uh, but I have never implemented it for for anybody. No. That's one of the the three new uh, popular model sets that Sandler came out with in the last two years. Uh, Act was the the last one. Uh, Microsoft CRM was the second one completed, and Salesforce.com uh, actually was completed twice. They did two complete variations of it. Mm, okay. Uh, attempting to get to, uh, I haven't, I'll confess, I haven't looked at it. I don't directly sell it. Complete integration as opposed to being added on to get the Sandler model into the, uh, the client system on the salesperson's desk so the salesperson can record in Salesforce and in the Sandler model uh, the the bonding and rapport step. What the, what is the DISC style of the prospect? 
what is his or her birth order, uh, how do they process information, are they verbal, auditory, or kinesthetic, what were the commonalities that you discovered when you went through that? So I, I haven't seen the uh, th- that that plug-in, but but what I can assume is that they they build it and it sits on uh, what Salesforce calls the App Exchange, which is like iTunes, where you just click a button and it plugs right into uh, Salesforce. So what they've done is they've made it such that it, it is very easy to integrate, where somebody non-technical like me can actually do it. But in terms of the uh, actually as part of the process in terms of how it helps you qualify and how it probably feeds it through the opportunity to help you realize, is this a viable prospect? Are we going to be able to meet their needs? I'm sure that that's where it's... someone through the whole Sandler submarine process, yeah. and, and that's on the front end per individual prospect. But the back end, bigger piece, is to, to, as a direct byproduct of doing their daily work, creates their attitude behavior journal cookbook and populates that based on the number of conversations they have every day, the number of telephone dials, the number of walk-ins, their their identity goal for the day and rating of that at the end of the day and their uh, role performance goal for the day and how they rate themselves at the end of the day. So if you get that as an automatic byproduct, uh, as a Sandler client, your sales have to get go up. Uh, my experience with the uh, Sandler has another product called Sales Accountability, which is kind of a, a web-based offline model for attitude behavior journal cookbooking. Uh, it's a great product for what it is, but it's offline. It's not a CRM. It requires double entry on the part of the salespeople. Uh, it works if someone will use it religiously for 90 days. And I think that's really the the key turning point. If someone uses the product for 90 days, we get phenomenal results. Building it into Salesforce or Microsoft CRM or any one of the others really makes a big difference. And if it's just a byproduct of their regular work, salespeople will actually do it. Right. They won't do it if it's extra work. Yeah, or provides what they perceive as no value to them. And that, mm-hmm. that that's part of the key is even with technology today, you can walk out of a meeting, call yourself on the phone, leave yourself a voicemail about the meeting, and actually have that transcribed into text and uploaded into your CRM system so that when you get back to the office, you don't have to type up your notes. There's a lot of things that you can do to make people more efficient these days. So so how is that done again? So you you basically leave a meeting and just call yourself. And and your voicemail, if you have a certain voicemail, it can transcribe it to English and send you an email or directly put it into your CRM system. And so of course it's a, it's a voice to text system that will automatically take the notes from the meeting and put it into your CRM system. There is a product that can do that, yes. What's that called? It's called Ribbit, just like a frog. Ribbit. R-I-B-B-I-T. And uh, it's a phenomenal product. There used to be a product that did that for Goldline. Okay. But they went out of business. Yeah. So, but then there's also products like Google Voice that are free that will send you an email uh, with the transcription. 
and then you just need to copy it and, and bring it into your CRM. But, you know, part of the challenge with CRM is salespeople look at it and go, okay, they're going to hold me accountable. I got to put all this in. I'm not going to get anything out. And, you know, as part of our projects, the goal is to really get these people to see that this system is actually going to provide a lot of value to them and it's not going to make it uh, just very taxing on them where they get absolutely no benefit from it. So, Okay, we're going to hear a, uh, a short commercial on the Sandler Rule, and we'll be back in about two minutes. Hi, I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. A skilled hunter knows how to track his prey cautiously and patiently and waits for the exact moment to fire his shot. He waits to make sure that his prized target is lined squarely in the crosshairs of his scope before pulling the trigger. As salespeople, our process should be very similar. We have a responsibility to make sure we know exactly what that prospect's needs and wants are and how our product or service can fulfill them. We also need to know exactly how much the prospect is willing to commit in terms of time, resources, and money to solving their problem. And we need to know the decision-making process that the prospect is going to go through in order to evaluate our product. And probably most importantly, we need to let the prospect know that we expect a decision at the end of our presentation. Only once we have a fully qualified prospect do we fire our kill shot and deliver the presentation. I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Matt Mountain of NextGen. Matt, why don't you tell the folks who are listening how they can get a hold of you easily? Uh, yeah, a couple ways. Uh, phone number 513-482-1127. And my email address is matt, M-A-T-T, at nextgen, N-E-X-G-E-N, consultants, with an S at the end, dot com. Matt, I'd like to ask a, a, a tough question at this point in the show. We have a theory of operation here that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are almost never right. So what I'd like to ask you is 
Tell us about a complex problem that you encountered in your business and how you came up with a complex solution to solve that or kill that complex problem. Wow. Um, in our in our business, the challenge that we have more often than not, and and I've alluded to this, is because we're a services firm, how do we manage expectations? It's not like we're selling chairs and if you, they're fifty bucks a piece, and if you want ten, it's five hundred dollars. In our business, it's when you think about putting in something like a CRM system, there's a lot of change going on at the client. Uh, we're selling something that salespeople typically don't want, that management does, that people are going to fight us on, that even though they told us this is what they want, in the end, they probably want something different. So one of the things that we, being a services firm, it's and every project being different, it's very difficult to accurately set expectations on what we're going to do. And I came from the IT software development world where at a high level, here's what they want to measure. Here's what they want to have the ability to enter data into. Uh, and and while, it was di- while those requirements changed, fundamentally we knew what they wanted. But it, in the CRM world, it, it vastly changes once you get into it. So... We work, in fact, we had a meeting today uh, to constantly refine our process so that we can set better expectations with clients and that when things change, we can address it up front rather than wait on it so that we can keep uh, clients happy. So, Does that uh, mean you have an account manager that you assign to each account? Yeah, what we do is every time that we close a new project, we assign a project manager slash business analyst to that. And that person is responsible for gathering a lot of the requirements, uh, even configuring the application, potentially doing the training. It's all based on the size of the project. But a lot of times we allocate two people to a project just so that if one's busy, somebody else can pick up and and take it. So is that one person? Or two people plus a salesperson. Yeah, but our projects are, unfortunately, being a business owner, all our projects are part-time. So we each consultant works on five to ten projects at once, which mm. makes it very, very tough on our consultants to be able to manage all these clients, all these people, and all the deliverables. So that's why it, it's critical for us to have a process to set expectations and when the client doesn't deliver, we can talk about change orders and other things so that they're held accountable, too. And that, that's, that's the biggest challenge we have in our business. So you actually have change orders in your business? Yes. And and I, we need to have more of them because I think we try to please the client so much that we don't want to ruffle any feathers. But So what's an average Salesforce Conversion project worth to you five thousand, ten thousand dollars. Yeah, is the number ten to fifteen thousand average. Okay, which one would you like to choose? Ten or fifteen? Well, I'd like to choose one hundred fifty thousand, but let's say fifteen thousand. Well, there are no projects that go as big as one hundred fifty thousand. Yes, there are. But you're winning all of those that you want, right? Um, we're doing very well for those that we're introduced to, and that's part of the business problem I've got. Is I'm Based on my my relationship with the existing Salesforce reps, I'm trying to work upstream 
into the reps that handle the bigger accounts so that we can get introduced to the bigger projects. Hmm. But for the ones we do get introduced to, we do very well. But they're, but we're not getting introduced enough. Oh, so it's not important to fix that problem. It's very important to fix that problem, and that, that's been one of my focuses. Is, really? Yeah. How, how much money do you figure it's cost you because you haven't been introduced to the bigger projects? A lot. A lot means? <laughs> oh, in terms of revenue? Revenue, right. Oh, half million, million? Can't be that much. No. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Abs- Knowing no, if you had used the Sandler selling system, you would have gotten that extra half a million bucks. How would that make you feel? I'd feel pretty good about that. No, no, having not gotten it when oh, you, how when, I, you, when you could, could have had it, but you didn't get it because you didn't know how to get there. Well, part of it is the the road that we took to get to where we are. Uh, we could, if we had decided strategically that we were going to spend a lot more time cold calling into companies, we could have uh, gotten into some larger ones, but our cost of sale would have been through the roof. So maybe, well, because what we would be doing essentially is calling into companies that don't know they need it. We like to get introduced once they know they need a CRM. So let's pretend we could get these salesforce.com reps who are dealing with the $100,000 or more projects to introduce your company in addition to Arthur Anderson or whoever else there currently introducing to them. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't do you any good, would it? Oh, that'd be wonderful. Would love it. Would absolutely love it. And uh, we're, ironically... But you're not in a, in a kind of business where you could infinitely expand your ability to deliver based on the clients that you close. We have a certain culture of our people that uh, we really look for. So if we were to close a lot of big business... Mm-hmm. Uh, we we do have the ability to ramp up, but not to that level because we'd be bringing in people that culturally just aren't a fit. So what we do. So you have to do some controlled growth. Absolutely. So on the average fifteen thousand dollar project, uh, how many dollars in change orders do you usually see? Not much, very little, if any, mm. which is a problem, and we're 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 addressing that as a business. Because we, we 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 try to do everything we can to please them, and we give in way too much. So when Sandler works with construction companies, commercial construction companies that have both salespeople and project managers, guess which group, project managers or salespeople, at the end of two years are bringing in more revenue? Project managers all the time. Yeah. Generally, what happens by the end of the third year, there are at least one third fewer salespeople. Because project managers are there on site every day. They're Absolutely. talking to the people. They find out what's happening next. Do you think there are people out there right now looking for your company? Absolutely. They don't know where to find a, a Salesforce.com uh, project manager converter, and there are people looking for you. How yeah. do they, except from the thing that you shared, what are you doing? in the marketplace so that it makes other people easy to find next-gen? Well, well, the funny thing is, until six months ago, I didn't realize that if your website was built in Flash, that Google couldn't index it. Whoops. Sandler had that mistake. It took took Sandler two years to figure out 
that, that this wonderful flying S they had on their webpage made us totally invisible to the marketplace. Well, and, and that was the thing is that we grew despite that. Mm-hmm. And so we've taken a, a lot of proactive steps. We just relaunched our new website. We have a professional services firm doing search engine optimization for us. Mm-hmm. We've got definite keywords. And in the when we launched it, we uh, had four leads from our website in the first two to three weeks, which prior to that we had zero. Okay, so you got four leads. How many did you close? Well, we just launched our new website five weeks ago. So, so we haven't closed any yet, which is typical. Oh, I thought you were one call close company. I wish we were. I wish clients. What is the average selling cycle? Uh, the average selling cycle, time wise, is probably one to two months. Hmm. Probably uh, not important to make that shorter. It's very important to make it shorter. Uh, the challenge is we're not always in control of their timing because a lot of it also has to do with when they're acquiring Salesforce.com and the terms and when those licenses can get provisioned. So that's part of the challenge that, that we have to live with uh, in, in terms of uh, – but it, but it also, from our business, our people are pretty well utilized, so we have to clearly set expectations that when you sign, it'll be a week or two before we're able to, to get started. So. Mm-hmm. And it's not possible to start before they signed up with Salesforce. Well, we... I imagine the Salesforce commitment is going to be, say, 100 licenses times uh, 90 bucks a month times 12 months a year. So that's a really big number. That's correct. You know, if your conversion contract is only five or $10,000, couldn't you jumpstart them? We could. Uh... In terms of the system design to... Uh, and, do a test migration of the data from whatever they're currently using. And sometimes we do. Uh, we, we'll actually provision a trial and start building it out in a trial that can ultimately be turned into production. Uh, but at the same time, the client doesn't want to engage with us until they know the cost of the licensing, so we'd need to provision the right trial. And so as much as I'd like to get these going quicker, uh, a lot of times we're, we're walking arm-in-arm with Salesforce and, Right. They're, they're the bottleneck. Do you uh, actually employ a public relations company or advertising agency? No, we don't. No. we. Uh, so you employ a search engine optimization company. Right. Okay. Do you write your own website? Uh, yes. So far we have. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, our key is because people are searching out there for Salesforce, consultants, healthcare, financial services, Cincinnati, what have you. Those are the words that we're looking to drive to us. Uh, I, I often laugh that our marketing budget is uh, uh, $40 a year, and that's my next-gen license plate that I drive around town. <laughs> but other than that, you know, our marketing is really towards Salesforce.com. And uh, they just opened an office in Chicago, and I was up there for business and stopped by and met with some of the reps. And Handed out some cards and they passed me on to other people. So it's just so really just out of curiosity, is Chicago the, their closest office to here? It is now. Yeah, their sales offices were in Toronto and San Francisco, and then they just four months ago opened the Chicago office. So okay, uh, when you look at the marketplace, you know, with an open mind, in the six or seven minutes that we have left, 
What do you see as the possibilities? What do you see that's been happening and you see the, you see it continuing? Well, what I'm seeing, whether it is uh, people moving their email to Google or whether people moving their... Uh, Actually, Sandler's doing that next year. Oh, are they? And, and, and we made the switch, too. Um, but, you know, whether it's that product or Salesforce or ServiceNow, which is a... Uh, uh, call center application to help people better track bugs with software and things like that, um, there's a huge push to go to the cloud and to no longer maintain, upgrade, support these applications and let the manufacturer do it because they can do it cheaper. And so I'm seeing now, – now, the Midwest is usually a little bit slower to adopt than the coasts, uh, but I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of movement where people are saying, hey, we don't want to maintain this anymore. It's not strategic to our business to maintain that server and upgrade it. Let's have somebody else do it. So there's a, a, I'm seeing a lot of that. And, again, whether that's Salesforce or other systems, but I'm, that's the movement that I see going on. Yeah. Uh, the one question, you know, going to the cloud is great if you're talking about your word processing or your spreadsheets. Uh, although those can have sensitive data on them, uh, I've heard a lot of concern here in this marketplace in central Ohio uh, about sending your most cherished customers and prospects off-prem to a cloud-based server mm -hmm. that uh, some nefarious company or person could steal all the data out of. Whereas, whereas if it's sitting here in my server on my hard disks, locked behind my doors, it's much more difficult for someone to abscond with my data. What do you say to people like that? Oh, they're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. I could give you my user ID and password to my production environment, and you couldn't get in. And I'd give you a user ID and password because it's not going to know. It's going to look at that IP address and say, whoa, this is a different IP address than what you've logged in before, and it'll challenge you. Where if you have it here and on a server, unless you're a full-time security person that's putting in all the encryption, people will be able to break into your server a lot easier. So I absolutely disagree with that. That's why we have everything in the cloud. I'll have to try that, Matt. You know, I've been, I've been known to break things. You can, it, it, the interesting thing is even when I log into my own environment and I'm in a different location. Mm -hmm. It challenges me. It, what do you mean by challenge? It, it say, what's your, your grandmother's last name? No, what it'll do is it'll say, in essence, I don't believe it's you. Click this button and we'll send out an activation code. The activation code goes to the email address on file for the person you tried to log in as. So when I log in from a remote location, I, I'm basically having Salesforce send me an email that only I get with a code that I then need to put into the browser in order to get access in. So if I gave it to you, here's my user ID and password, and it challenged you, I'd get an email out of the blue, and I'd be, what's this about? So I'd have to figure out a way to intercept and collect your email as you, well. You'd have to get my email, too. So, you know, there's... there's uh, that's an important safeguard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's interesting in working with some of these companies because I used to feel the same way. I'm not putting my data off-site. I mean, boy, you know, you've got financial services companies with 25,000 users putting all that data in the cloud because of the security. And uh, so that's just how I see it. And, and the problem, you know, going back to the gold mine discussion, when it was time to upgrade gold mine, sometimes I had to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. So how am I going to put the security in place to prevent people from getting access to that? So it's definitely safer in the cloud. Okay, I'll believe that. What do you think, uh, in look, looking at your company, how long do you think you're going to stay as a Salesforce.com exclusive vendor? Um, in terms of, from a CRM standpoint, exclusive mm -hmm. app for a long time. In terms of branching out into complementary applications that uh, complement what Salesforce can do, uh, I see us branching out into those uh, relatively so, soon. So you'll have your own apps on the uh, App Store? Well, we're, we're, we're in the process of building one of those, but uh, there's other... There's other applications out there that uh, do other things that uh, marketing automation, for example, that can nurture leads prior to the salesperson getting it. So we might get involved in setting those kinds of applications okay. up also, so competitive. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see myself being a professional golfer anytime soon. It's something I'd really like to spend more time at, but uh, right now that just doesn't happen. Okay. Well, I have a lot more questions for you, Matt, but uh, I see our time is about uh, run out. Uh, if anyone wants to uh, contact Matt by email, his email address is? Matt, M-A-T-T, -T, at nextgen, N-E-X-G-E-N, consultants, with an S at the end, dot com. Matt, thanks for joining us here on the show. My pleasure. Thank and, you. And uh, I'm going to ask Scott to uh, take it away. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.